Psalm 41 is where we're going to be. So why don't you stand? Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. Father, we ask for wisdom as we think about the the need and the opportunity we have to minister to those who are who are vulnerable, who are uh, weak, who are destitute or in need. Father, we pray that you'd help us to think through um, how we can use what you've given us to meet the needs of others. Father, we pray for your help. Pray for your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if I were uh, just picking the Psalms that I wanted to preach uh, in this series, Psalm 41 would not be one of those. But there are three, at least three things, that uh, three or four, that happened this week, um, that are happening this week, that have caused me to say, you know what, we ought to take a look at the first three verses of Psalm 41. Okay, let me tell you about those three things. Number one, right now, if you would go into our big room uh, on the other side of the Fellowship Hall, you would see that there's food all the way around the Fellowship Hall. Um, This week, uh, folks went and shopped uh, on Thursday and bought enough food baskets. I think there's 30 or 35 baskets. And by basket, we mean just a big pile of food is basically what it is um, to give away today at 4 o'clock. So at 4 o'clock, we're going to be going out and uh, lots of you are going to come. And we're going to deliver those out throughout around town and try to be a blessing to our community. Now, that really is just only indicative of what actually happens every week here at Lincoln Avenue through your ministry. Um, through your ministry, we actually give a lot more food away than is in that room right now um, throughout the year. Uh, throughout the year, as people come in day after day, week after week, uh, not only for food, but also for rent and for um, uh, utilities and housing and just all, all sorts of different needs that are met through the ministry of Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church. So, so it's a great day to be looking at this psalm for that reason. Number two, um, this last Wednesday, um, many of us were at a homeless shelter meeting. Um, it's, it's populated, the whole board is populated by Lincoln Avenue folks, and it's kind of been the vision of this church to do what we're about to do, which is to create a homeless shelter in Woodward that is sustainable, that without... Without full-time employees, even without part-time employees, we're striving to create a shelter that can meet the needs of the homeless for, for a long time, for the, the, as far as we can look into the future. That, that's our heart. That's our vision. And this week, we've got, I think, the, the vision statement down. We've got the brochures are getting ready to be printed. Um, we have a piece of land that we believe we've secured Um, We have building plans and contractors that have been contacted, and we have the building up for sale. And I know one of you is going to go over there and say, I think I'll buy that thing for $200,000, you know. And so uh, we're hoping that that happens, that somebody somebody wants that and buys that, because that's basically what we need to put the final piece in the puzzle to be able to really try to minister to the homeless in Woodward. Number three, the reason I think this is a great Sunday for this, is last Sunday was our last Sunday to take up the offering for Christmas in India, okay? Let me tell you kind of what had happened prior to that. Um, I think the, to, to, to do everything that we had kind of wanted to do as far as, or that we usually do, as far as widows, um, orphans, 
um, <clears throat> the aged and pastors and their wives. I think we need like $7,200, something like that. A couple other churches, First Baptist O'Keen, First Baptist Arnett, had, or Laverne, Laverne had chipped in, and I think they had raised like $1,000 or something like that. And uh, we had raised $1,000, but we needed like four or $5,000 more. And uh, I called Solomon on Friday, and I said, Bud, I, you know, in the past, we've been able just to make up. You know, in the past, we've been able just to say, hey, you know, we've got the whatever we don't raise, we've got it in our missions account, and we're just going to meet that need. That's what we've done year after year. And I told him, I said, this year, we just can't do that. You know, um, we're, 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 our economy's down. A lot of our guys don't have work. Um, our, our, our community is, is hurting. I said, we, we're just not going to be able to do that. He said, that's fine, that's fine. He said, I'll, I'll start making a list of ways that I can trim people out and, and we can just focus on maybe just the orphans and, and the aged or something like that. And I said, okay. And I said, man, I'm sorry. I said, we're going we're gonna to put it in the bulletin one more week and we'll see what happens. So last week I, I came, you know, and I said, if I think you remember me saying, I said, hey guys, this is our last week for Christmas in India. If you want to give to that, this is the last time we're going to go ahead and wire the money on Tuesday. Well, we started tallying up the numbers on Monday, uh, Paula did, and we had everything come in for Christmas in India. That got completely funded. We raised the entire amount. So it was like $5,000 last week. Um, the sewing center I mentioned, that got completely funded. The, the water well, I didn't even talk about a water well, but we had, we had hoped the missions committee had made a goal to try to drill a, wa- a water well every month. Well, we got enough money to, we've already got December covered. We've got enough money to cover the January. So we, we've actually ha- sent the money already for the water well in January. That happened last week, all right? So that just stirred my heart to say, first of all, man, God is great in his provision. But second of all, what a great church that responds to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in meeting the needs of the poor. And so I think today is a great day for us to look at these, these three verses in Psalm 41. You know, as I, as I think about verses about poverty in the Bible, um, most of the ones that usually come to my mind are the ones that have warnings with them. This isn't one of those. This one has a promise, okay? You got two categories. You got warnings and you got promises that come with verses on poverty. And uh, most of the time, I, I think of the ones that have warnings because they, they actually do shake me up more than any verses in the Bible. I don't know why, but, but you know, they, they make me do a little internal scramble. You know what I mean by internal scramble? Like you start like scrambling around and, and making, making sure you're, you know, how am I? Where you know, am I? Am I off, am I off base here? Um, I was, uh, I, I'd gotten home from a couple of my Bible studies on Friday and uh, I was going to keep Colt so Emma could go to her exercise class for an hour. And so I started doing dishes. I was washing dishes in there and I didn't hear him. And uh, that always makes me nervous. So I dry my hands real quick, and I, and I looked around the living room. He was in the living room, and so I knew he must be upstairs. And so I start going upstairs, and so, you know, my feet on the stairs, boom, 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 boom. And as I'm going up the stairs, I hear a, like a scramble. Like he's scrambling. Like, like he, he's coming off of something high, I know, because I kind of hear him, you know, thud, go, 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 you know. And then he comes running out of our bedroom. He comes running out of there so fast that he trips over his little train. And he kind of does a whoo right in front of me. And he looks up and he's like, hey, dad. You know what I mean? Like, like doesn't cry or nothing. And he's just like, but I could tell he was scrambling, you know. He was scrambling. Okay, because he heard my steps on, on, the, on, on the stairs, okay. And that, that's, that's what I do when, when, when I read some of the verses in Proverbs about poverty and about how we respond to poverty. By the way, he'd gotten up, he climbed up on the vanity, and he had made a beautiful collage with Emma's lotion, her spray pump of lotion, you know. It's really pretty. I mean, he didn't just, like, make a pile of it. Like, he really made a pretty picture with it, and that's what he'd done. But when I, 
When I look at verses, let, let me give you a couple of them. So Proverbs 14, 31 is one that always kind of shakes me up. It says, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Okay, so, so when, I, when I think about that verse, every time I've ever read that verse and I think about, man, how I treat impoverished people could, has the potential to be an insult to God. Like when I think about insulting God, when I think about raising my fist to God and, you know, giving him one of these, I think, yikes, you know, makes me want to put my hands in my pockets, All right? But th- this one's even bigger. This one I've, 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 had, I've had underlined in every Bible I think I've ever owned. I've had this verse underlined because it, it shakes me up. Are you ready? Proverbs twenty-one thirteen. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Man, like that, that causes an internal shakeup in me to think, if I ignore the cry of the poor, if I, if I ignore the cry of the poor, what that's saying is there will come a time when I will cry out in need and God will not answer. Now, that, that causes me a little internal shakeup. Now, fortunately, today's passage actually is not one of those warnings. There are a lot of those in the Bible. Today's passage is a promise. It's a blessing. It, it's telling us when we respond to the poor in, a, in this certain way, God responds with blessing, okay? And so, and so let's, let's focus on that. Verse 41, blessed, by the way, isn't it cool? We got another blessed. Hadn't this been almost every week? We've had either related to, either in the psalm or related to the psalm, God telling us through the psalms, hey, this is the way to be happy. This is the way to be satisfied. This is the way to be fortunate, all right? So that, that's happening here again today. Blessed is the one who considers the poor in the day of trouble the Lord delivers him. Now, the first question on my heart is, who are the poor? Because that's really a, com- a complicated situation, right? Like all of us, we really like to think. You know, we, we like to, how, how many of you watch like uh, one of those rich and famous shows or Bill Gates and, and you, you think, man, we are so poor, you know? Man, did you see that mansion? Did you see that yacht? Did you see that cabin in Vail, you know? Man, we're so poor, okay? Like that's what we like to do, okay? That's really a horrible definition of who's poor, okay? Okay, a horrible way to think about the poor is compare yourself to, to yourself someone richer and then think you're poor. Okay, that, that's a bad definition of the poor. I think a good definition of the poor, actually that, that word in Psalm 41.1, if you've got the NIV or another translation it says like weak or helpless or needy or some, some word like that but really what, what it means here, here I've got two categories I would define it for you number one without resources and number two vulnerability okay number one without resources in other words there's a lack of either skill or ability or opportunity or just simply financial resources. And by the way, that, that could be for a lot of different reasons. Why, why do people lack financial reasons? Why resources? Why do people lack money? Okay, there's a, there's a lot of reasons for that. The number one reason, actually, is where they live. That's the number one reason why people lack money. Number one reason of why people have money or don't have money is where you live. Geography, it really is. When you look at it, it's geography. We all want to think, well, it's because I'm smart and worked hard, went to college or didn't, you know, got an oil field or busted my tail. That's not why you have money. It really isn't. When you look at a world scale, the reason you have money, well, actually, it's God's favor. That's the number one reason. But with that is where you live, okay? Geography. Other reasons would be opportunity. Other reasons would be oppression, war, drugs, abuse, generational patterns. Those would be all reasons that people lack resources, Okay, but let me let me caution you. Okay, I'm, I'm going to caution you because I hear this in the church a lot. Sometimes in the church, we'll say we'll, we'll group all poverty or all lacking resources 
into the reason for that is laziness. Now, that, that's a really dangerous thing to do spiritually, okay? Now, is there truth in that? Absolutely, in the sense of, you know, I, I tell my son, I tell my kids, you know, the benefits of diligence, and that is absolutely in the Bible. In fact, let me, let me read you some verses here that, that confirm that. I don't want you to think I don't think that's true. I do think it's true. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4 says this, A slack hand, or laziness, causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Uh, let me give you a couple more. Uh, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 15. Proverbs 19, 15. Slothfulness cast into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4. Um, the slugger does not plow in the autumn, and he, he, he will seek a har- at harvest and have nothing. So, so absolutely the Bible confirms, and, and it's true, you know. It's true across the board in, in America especially, you know, that not working hard will affect the amount of income, most generally, okay? But worldwide, and, and even in America, poverty is really caused by, by some other key factors, okay? And geography is one of those factors. Let me, let me give you an example about my own life. I was born, and probably you, I bet you would, let me tell you my story, and I bet most of you would say I had a similar story. I was born in a place where there was abundant opportunity for me to work, okay? From the time that I was little, there was abundant opportunity for me to work. I can't ever remember a time um, maybe when I went to college for about two weeks, uh, but not very long. But I can't remember a time when, when I did not have the opportunity to work if I wanted to, even since I was little. And especially growing up, I grew up in a Holderman Mennonite community that was stable. Marriages were stable. Families were stable. Uh, was not overpopulated. It was an agricultural community. And I'm telling you, for a, a 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19-year-old kid, man, there was an abundance of work, okay? And it was not at all because, like, I was a super worker, all right? In fact, let me tell you about one of the first jobs I had. Um, my, my dad's friend who went to our church uh, hired me when I was about 10 years old to, uh, to weigh, sc- weigh trucks at the feedlot, the scales on weekends, okay? My first day, I messed up every empty load coming back. Like, I forgot to switch the scale or something. I didn't understand the scale. And, and I got all the, he- the, the loaded trucks. I got all that right. I, I messed up all the empty ones, all right? And he still let me work. You know, he still had me come back and work. Um, my, my grandpa was fencing out in our pasture. I was fencing with my dad and my grandpa, and my grandpa had me go get his pickup. You know, we'd, we'd built fence all the way to the crowds. He said, go get my pickup, son, bring it in. You know, so I brought it in. As I was coming around the right turn into, into, our, into the driveway of the, of the crowds, I, I, I tore, I, I ran into the post and, and bashed the whole right side of my, my grandpa's pickup in. Um, I, what I'm telling you is, it wasn't like, like I was this great worker, you know? I mean, I cost a whole lot of people a lot of money, you know? But I still had great opportunities to work. There was always somebody who would hire me, one of my dad's friends, you know, other farmers in the neighborhood. And, and, and I was able to, from, from a young age, make, make money and work. Okay, now, what if I were not born in western Kansas, though? What if I were born in Barachalam, India? where a lot of our ministry goes on. And by the way, there is even poorer places in India than Barachalam. But what if I was born there? There are, if I remember my statistics right, 384 million people in the country of India who live on less than $1 a day. Now, to give you a little uh, little help, I Googled this number. Um, where's it at? Where's it at? Where's it at? In the United States of America, there are 319 million people. Okay, 319 million people. So in other words, every person within the borders of the United States of America, that's 319. 384 million live in India under a dollar a day. 
Okay, so take every person in Dallas, every person in Chicago, every person in New York, every person in Pittsburgh, every person in Cleveland, every person in Boston, every person in, in, in Oklahoma City, every person in uh, Los, every, every person in the United States, okay? And then add 65 million to that, and that's the number of people that live on less than a dollar a day in India. You know, I was thinking about, what, what would it take to make a dollar a day in Woodward, Oklahoma? You know what it would probably take? For me, I'd say, hey, Bonnie, can I have a dollar? You know, she'd probably give it to me, you know? And then the next day I'd be like, hey, Deb, can I have a dollar, you know? I, I mean, really, I, I, what would it take for you to make a dollar, you know? You, these folks, though, are, are bent over in the rice field, either planting, or, planting rice or, or, or picking weeds for 14, 16 hours a day to make 60 or 70 cents. Okay, now, geography plays a big part in that, doesn't it? And, and guess what happens if you don't work in India? There's no net. You just die. Like there's, there's, there's no one to catch you there. Okay, so, so opportunities make a big difference, right? Had I been born there, there's not, there's not jobs. There's not jobs, good paying jobs, right? Opportunity. So, so people without resources make up the poor. The second category, and these two things just help me think about poverty, is vulnerability. Okay, so I'm driving home from Oklahoma City. I'm driving back home from Oklahoma City on Tuesday morning, early Tuesday morning. And uh, there's a guy walking alongside the road. It's really cold out. So I pull over. I actually pulled behind him, and I thought he'd turn around. Like, I drove right behind him for a little ways, you know. And uh, he never turned around. He told me he was, he was, he was in prayer, actually, is what he told me later. I kept, I kept thinking, oh, great, this is another hitchhiker that won't ride with me. I've had that happen before. It's really, it hurts my feelings, you know. Like, I, th- I always think of uh, a hitchhiker would ride with anybody, but there's some that, most of time it's when I'm in the church van. They're like, nah, I don't think so. I know where this is going to go. So anyway, but this guy, he jumps in. I, I pulled around him. He jumps in. And his pickup had broken down um, on the Tulsa Turnpike. He was coming back to order. He had a court date. He was coming back to order for a court date. And uh, so his pickup had broken down. And, um, and he, he had a little bit of money because he'd been working. He's been working hard. Uh, he's got a good job. He really likes. Um, and, and so he had a little bit of money. And he had a friend. And so he made that one call and used all of his money to get his wife back home. His wife was with him, and he wanted to make sure he took care of his wife. But then he had, he had no other resources, no, nobody else to call, and so he started walking. And so he, he, uh, he walks on the turnpike for a while, gets a ride to Midwest City, uh, needs to start coming this way, cannot find anybody who will help him. He asked several people at the truck stop, and a lot of people were like, you know, get a job, buddy. We don't help bums, you know, that sort of thing. And so he starts walking. He, he walks all the way to Kingfisher. Uh, makes it, he walks all night to Kingfisher. He said he tried to lay down and sleep a little bit. He said, buddy, it was just too cold. He said, I couldn't sleep. I just got back up and started walking. So he made Kingfisher, and then I picked him up um, there, there around ceiling and uh, brought him on in. But here's what I was thinking about. Here's what I was thinking about. How many things would have to happen for many of us for us to have to walk that far when it's that cold? All night long. So, so let, let's, let's, just, let's just think that through. So if, um, if Jeff breaks down on the turnpike, um, what, what does he do? You know, engine blows. Okay? Yeah, he calls, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe he just calls a tow truck, you know, and they come get him, and then he rents a car, you know, in Tulsa. Or maybe he uh, goes to a used Jeff's kind of a wheeler dealer guy. He might go to a used car dealer and just buy one. You just buy a you know, $2,000 car and thinking, well, I'll just come back to Woodward and sell it, you know. Or, or maybe he's like, you know, I'd like to have a new truck. Maybe I'll just go to one, you know, zero down kind of finance. Maybe he does that. Or, 
Or, or, or, or maybe, maybe, maybe he doesn't want to buy or use this. Maybe he doesn't want to use anybody. So you know what he does? He calls Teresa, right? And then Teresa comes and gets him. But, but let's say that he and Teresa had a fight, you know, and Teresa's like, you did walk yourself, you know. And so he can't do that. But you know what he does? He calls Jonathan, right? Jonathan's got a car. Jonathan goes and gets him. But let's just say Jonathan's like, I'm sticking up for mom, you know. Well, then he calls Hugh, right? And Hugh comes again. But let's just say Hugh's like, hey, I'm with the other three, man. I got to stay here with Pauline. So you know what he does? He calls Kenny. You know, and Kenny comes and gets him. You know, well, maybe Kenny's busy. Fred, Fred, would you go get Jeff on the turnpike? You probably would, wouldn't you? Bonnie, would you go get Jeff? Tree, uh, Deborah, would you go get Jeff? Justin, would you go get Jeff? Uh, there's probably a room full of people that would go get Jeff. And the same is true with me. I started thinking, I thought, you know, there's literally probably three or 400 people I could call in Woodward who would come get me. And if that didn't work, my dad would probably drive from Kansas and come get me. Okay, are, are, are you seeing this? What, what I'm telling you is, most of us don't have any idea what it's like to be truly vulnerable. See, we don't, we don't know that. Okay, now, see, that's a good definition of poverty, is, is when there is no safety net. There is no, you know, either, either you have none, or you've burned all your bridges, or you've, you know, whatever, but, but there's, no, there's no safety net that you, you, you're vulnerable. And so the Bible says, blessed is the one who considers those folks, who considers the poor. Now, here's, here's what really gets interesting. The word consider, okay? If we're going to obey this, then we've got to do that, all right? Now, that word means to think wisely about. It, word, it means to act prudently toward. It means to think through, okay? So, so in other words, verse 1 is not telling you just give 20 bucks. It's not actually telling you that. It's saying you need to think about, you need to consider, you need to engage in the life of those who are in need. I'm so thankful for the leadership of our benevolence ministry. I don't know if you know how that works, but anybody that comes to to Lincoln for for help, you know what happens? We we have someone sit down with them, and we go through a three-page inventory. You know what we you know what we want to know? We want to know, hey, what's your name and where do you live and what's your phone number and who else lives in the house with you and how long have you lived in that house and where'd you live before you lived in that house? And and we'd like to know, are you employed now? Well, if you're not employed, where was your last employment? You know, and where was the one before that and how long were you employed there? And how, how come how come that didn't work out? And we want to know the circumstances of why why you have this need and what happened that led up to this need. And and by the way, we'd like to know your budget as well. We'd like to know, you know, how much do you make and, and do you, are you on disability? And do you, do you have any any um, any child support or or do you have any uh, government assistance? And by the way, how much is your rent? How much is your utilities? Let's go ahead and make out a budget worksheet. And, and and by the way, we'd like to know who do you think Jesus is? Who's who's Jesus to you? And do you have any spiritual beliefs? And what are your spiritual convictions? And how could we pray for you? And what's your long term goals and plans? And why do we want to know all of this? Because verse one says, "Consider the poor." You see, we're, we're, what we're interested in is you. We'd like to know your situation. Some people get offended when we start asking all these questions. We're like, no, 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 you don't understand. I mean, we're, we're trying to actually do what the Bible is saying. We're trying to say, look, we want to know who you are. We want to know your situation. We want to know how we can engage in your life. We want to know how we can truly help you. We want to know how we can minister to you. And we can't know any of that unless we know you, right? And, and so the really big thing here is consider the poor is the very opposite thing that, of saying it's not my problem. Let me tell you, if, if, if your attitude when you came in this morning, when thinking about those who are needy, those in India, those in uh, 
um, poor parts of Oklahoma City, those in certain parts of Woodward, Oklahoma, if your idea toward those folks is, hey, that's not my problem, let me tell you, you are not living out the gospel, okay? Because the heart of the gospel is, is this. The heart of the gospel is, is that Jesus, I, let me read you this. Isn't it, isn't it cool? 2 Corinthians 8 9. 2 Corinthians 8 9. When Paul describes the gospel, he does so in languages of riches and poverty. Okay, that's, that's how he explains the gospel. Listen to what he says about Jesus in 2 Corinthians 8 9. He says this, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, and by the way, you will never truly realize how rich Jesus is. The reason we can't is because our little brains can't ever get to the end of it, you know? I mean, if I spend the rest of my life and the rest of my eternity trying to get my head around how powerful is Jesus, how strong is he, how good is he, how, 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 how rich is he in love and mercy and wealth and resources, how much does Jesus have, my mind cannot comprehend it. And so it says, though he was rich, yet for your sake, it's the gospel, he became poor. By the way, this is Christmas. This is a Christmas story right here. Okay, What did Jesus do? Jesus takes this monumental step out of heaven and into human flesh. And by the way, that one step, if you add up all the sacrificing, all the giving, all the, the pouring yourself out, all the meeting needs that you will ever, ever do from the time that you're born until the time that you die, that will look like this on that chart. Okay, it's just, it's just that, all right? And Jesus, in one move, goes from the glories of heaven into an infant. And then he goes further. Not, I mean, that, that, that is, that is mind-blowing enough. But not just an infant, but Jesus is born to teenage parents in a war-torn, occupied nation without resources, and they are vulnerable when Joseph arrives in Bethlehem, do you remember what he does? He plays every card he has. He goes to all the places. He makes every call. He, he goes to all of the relatives. He, 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 he does everything he can, and he cannot get a room. How often does that happen to you? Probably not very often. You just drive to the next town. Or you call a church like we do. That's what we do. Hey, can we stay? You know. They're vulnerable. Jesus never owned any property. He didn't own a home. His only possession was the shirt on his back when he died. And they took that from him and gambled for it. He became poor. Let's read the rest of the verse. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. That's the gospel. See, that's the gospel in the terms of poverty and riches. Jesus became poor so that you might be rich. So that if you're joined to him in faith, you might be rich. Now, what, what does that mean, rich? Well, I think it does mean that he takes care of you physically. You know, isn't it cool that, that God takes care of you? Isn't it cool that we can pray, God, give us this day our daily bread? And God provides. And, and you know how he often provides? He, he, he provides supernaturally. He provides, you know, through circumstances. Absolutely. But you know how he often provides? He often provides through other believers. Okay, that, we got to get that in our, in our heads because that's the way the gospel works. Is that, is that God is going to use you to provide for and minister to other believers. It was really cool when we were in uh, Oltania. It's uh, right down on the Serbia border. We, we pulled into the village and, and we're talking to Pastor Yonel. 
and uh, he he had he had uh, planted a church in his his hometown there. Spent like 16 years or so and got it off the ground. He's got it built and everything. He goes to the next village. He's planted a church. He's he's got a, a building there that a gypsy family gave to him. And uh, they're, they're, they, they gave the property, and they're building it together one brick at a time. And then he's gone to the next village, and, and he's won f- seven or eight people there, and he wants to plant a church there, but he doesn't have a building, doesn't have any land or anything there. And so we asked him, we said, well, well what's your plan? You know, how, how are you going to plant that third one? And he said, well, I've been praying. He said, I've been praying that God would provide. And then he said, and now you're here. That's exactly the way he said it. He said, I've been praying, and now you're here, you know. In other words, what he was saying is, I think you're the answer to my prayer, you know. Uh, I think your church is the answer to my prayer. And, and that's indeed the way the gospel works. God, God meets the needs of his people through his people. But the real wealth, and you know this, the real wealth is our union to Jesus Christ. The real wealth is that spiritually, every one of us, here, here's why we meet needs as believers. Here's why, why everywhere Christianity has spread. You know what you find? Hospitals, schools orphanages you know you know what everywhere islam is spread you don't find that isn't that interesting but everywhere christianity is spread you find you find things like schools and hospitals and orphanages and 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 care facilities and relief organizations you know why because it's in our dna because here's what the bible says every born again believer knows i was a poor destitute impoverished wreck you see you if you're here this morning and here's your testimony if your testimony goes like this, man, I heard about God and I heard about the gospel and I thought, you know what, God could use a guy like me. You know, I've got a lot and, and uh, I'm a smart guy and um, he'd be happy to have me on his team. God, I think I will. I'll sign up with you. Here's the deal. You're going to hell. Okay, because you, I, I mean, unless something changes, but, but you don't have the gospel. That's, that's not the way you come to Jesus. You can't come that way. You remember what Jesus said in the first beatitude? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What was he saying there? He was, he was saying this, you've got to know your spiritual poverty. You've got to know that you're spiritually bankrupt, that you're in great need, that your account is in the negative. You've got to know that. You've got to know that you're, you, you're without any means to help yourself from sin, death, the grave, and hell. You can't help yourself. And all you can do is cry out to God and depend on his mercy. And so because of that, because of that's every born-again believer's story. Okay? If, you, if you're saved here this morning, that, to some degree, that's your story. Because of that, you know what it is to be poor, and you know what it is to be shown mercy. And that's why now, in the rest of your life, what has God called you to do? Show mercy. Be compassionate. Meet the needs of others. And by the way, it's... We, we figured this out as believers. Whatever I have, that's come from God. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What, what, what do you have that you did not receive? The answer is nothing. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's all His. And why has He given it to us? Why, why do you have what you have? Why do you have the resources? Why do you have the, the, the abilities? Why do you have the gifts? Why do you have that? And, and the answer is, yeah, He loves you, yes, and His character is glorious, and He gave it to you. But part of the answer is, is that God gave that to you in order to meet the needs of others. I'll be honest. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 13 and 14. I've read that before, and I didn't say it out loud because we shouldn't say things like this, but I thought it. I thought, I kind of wish that wasn't in there, you know? Like, like, like ah, you know how something kind of, mm, it's, it's one of those verses. 
Paul's talking about the offering they're taking up for Jerusalem. And he says, I don't mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need. You hear that? Your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. What Paul is saying there is that God, if God's given you a bunch, he's given you a bunch for a reason. So that you might be able to supply the needs of others. If we go into that next chapter, chapter 9. And we start reading about how, how God describes giving. Verse 6 he says, the point is, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Verse 7, each one must give as he's made up his mind. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. I love that. All sufficiency, all things, all times. Okay, Why? You may abound in every good work. That's why you have all sufficiency. That's why you have all things at all times. So you abound in every good work. Verse 9, he has distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. Why does God give you lots of seed? To put it in the elevator. No, it doesn't say that. It says to sow. You put it in the ground. Right? That's the principle there. You, you, you seed for sowing to increase your harvest of righteousness. Verse 11, you'll be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. That's just what we talked about. It was overflowing to many thanksgivings to God. What, what, what does God intend for us? He intends for us to have his heart. First John chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. If anyone has the world's goods, that would be me, and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not live in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. What's he saying there? He's saying, look, if you have God's heart, then you will meet the needs of others. So much so that when we get to Matthew 25, oh my, on the judgment day, do you remember what God does? God chooses this very thing to say, hey, you know what? Every person who's born again, I put my, my Holy Spirit in them. And you know how you're going to tell that they're born again? Because they're going to visit the sick and those in prison. And they're going to feed the hungry and give water to the thirsty. They're going to do that. They're going to live a life that way. And that's how you'll know who's mine. And he makes it the evidence of our salvation. That's heavy. So, having, having that in mind, what does it mean for us to consider the poor. Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we take a token amount and thoughtlessly ease our conscience by doing our duty. That's not what it means. It's really easy for Christians to get in the habit of, well, I give. I get in my church. That's all it means. You know, I get in my church. Hey, you know, if you're needy, go to Lincoln Avenue. Talk to Pastor Gary, you know, because I give there, you know. It's really easy for us to have that kind of attitude. It's really easy for us to come out of, out of the service today and be, man, feel a little guilty, you know. Hey, honey, we got to go by Walmart anyway to get that new plasma TV. Get the change out of the, out of the console and throw it in that Salvation Army can. We'll, we're done, you know? Now, let me ask you, is that considering the poor? Who'd you consider? You're, actually, yourself, right? You know, like, like, this makes me feel better. So I don't think it's that. I don't think it's it give indiscriminately. Okay, I, I, I don't think it's whoever has a need, then just go ahead and throw money at it. You know, you know the reality? That's not what some people need. You know, some, some people need something else. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, 
there were some folks in the church at Thessalonica, and they, they, they were so convinced Jesus was coming back that you know what they did? They sang that old country western song, Take This Job, Man. I'm done. You know, that's what they sang it. And they were like, I'm done, man. I'm not working. If Jesus is coming back, you know, hey, y'all just bring potluck every day. You know, you guys keep working, but I'm not going to. You know what Paul said? He said, verse 10, even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. You know what Paul's doing there? He's saying you need to think about these guys. Are they in need? Yeah. But what do they really need? Well, they need encouragement to go get a job. You know, they, they need right theology. They need to understand that just because Jesus is coming back doesn't mean you don't work, you know. It means you get out there and you be a light to the world, right? And so, so it doesn't mean we just give indiscriminately, okay? It, it does mean, though, that we consider the poor. You know what's really interesting? I was reading this book by Jonathan Martin. It's called uh, Giving Wisely. And, and have you ever thought about this? I, I'd never thought about this. In the, good, the story of the Good Samaritan, he never gives the guy money. Have you thought about that? Let's walk through the story of the Good Samaritan, right? So guy's going down the road. Uh, robbers come, beat the tar out of him, steal his money, take everything he's got, leave him in the ditch. He's bleeding. He's got a concussion. You know, he's in bad shape, right? Priest comes by, you know, goes to the other side. Levite comes by, I'm in a hurry. You know, goes to the other side. Samaritan comes by, and what does he do? He stops, and he considers the poor. He considers the helpless. He considers the needy. And what does he do? He's got a first aid kit on his donkey, you know? Gets that dude out, starts bandaging this guy up, giving him what he needs. And then he lifts him up and puts him on his donkey. The equivalent of puts him in his truck, you know? And then he, then he takes him to the next town. And then he gives money to the professionals to take care of him. He gives money to the people that are going to look after him and give him a place where he can recover. And then he gives him a little extra money to the professionals to make sure that there's enough money to care for this guy until he gets back on his feet. And he's going to come back and check on him later. Now, the reason I think that's really interesting is because, you know what would, it would be our tendency? You know, we're going on the road. Oh, this guy in the ditch, he's bleeding. Pull over, honey. You know, we're on our way to the new Star Wars movie. Hey, hey buddy, here's 20 bucks. You know, let me lift your head up right there. Okay. Eek. You know, good luck to you. Let me pray. Amen. You know, there we go, right? He doesn't do that. He actually engages in the guy's life, which is a lot more work, is it not? It's a lot more work to get your first aid kid out and try to, try to bandage this guy up. It's a lot more work to get him up on your donkey and take him to the next town. It's a lot more work to arrange for his recovery, you know, to make sure he gets back on his feet and gets going again in life. That's a lot more work. But that's what it means to consider the poor. I, I would look at it this way. I think the number one way that we obey this passage is through relationships okay so what the bible is telling you to do is engage relationally with the needy it's the hardest thing how does this work in church so glad you asked james 2 ready verse 1 here we go my brothers, show no partialities. You hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, Hey, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down on my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? Are not the, aren't they the ones who drag you into court? Are not they the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you're called? 
Now, a couple of things out of that passage. Number one, he says, listen, you got to pay attention to people who are in need. Pay attention to them. In, in a real, hey, hey, who are you? What's your name? Come sit by me. I'd like to know you. Hey, do you know the gospel? That's what it means to pay attention to them. Engage in their lives. Let's get super practical, shall we? Luke 14. Luke 14, 12. And he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. You'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Man, I can't think of anything more practical than, hey, invite those folks over for hot dogs. It's that practical. Why? Well, they, they may have a need for food. That, that may be true. But I, what, what's, what's bigger there? Get to know them. Engage in their life. They, they, they need you. They, they need your work ethic. They need to know what a family looks like. Man, I remember we had some folks who were homeless into our, our home. This has been, I don't know, maybe a year ago. And um, we were sitting down, nothing fancy. I mean, I think we just threw something together, and fish sticks and whatever, you know. But all, all, all my kids were there. And I remember, I remember the lady saying, I've never sat down at a meal like this. So but may, maybe, the, maybe the best thing we had to offer that night was not our crummy fish sticks or whatever we had. I don't remember what we had. But, I mean, it was nothing fancy. Like, it was one of those deals where I told Emma, hey, can I bring a couple people over for supper in 10 minutes? You know. Maybe the best thing we had to offer is, hey, this is kind of what our family looks like, you know? We sing the doxology before we eat, and we pray, and we do highs and lows. And everybody in the family, including you guys, tell what the best thing, the worst thing your day was. We just interact. I don't know, you know? Maybe it wasn't meaningful at all, but she made that comment. Relationships. Consider the poor. Now, we don't have much time, but did, did you see all the blessings that come from this? Man, talk about Christmas time. Are you, are you ready? Let's read them again. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him. This, this is the guy who helps the poor, who considers the poor, keeps him alive. He's called blessed in the land. You don't give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed, and in his illness you restore him to full health. Now, is that saying, you know, you feel a little sick today, so go find somebody who's needy, write a check to India, and all of a sudden, <gasps> I feel better. I, I suppose God could do that, but I don't think that's what it means. I, I think as we look at the Bible as a whole, don't we see that God has a plan for sickness? He has a plan for adversity. You know, there's, that's a complicated issue. But you know what it does mean? Especially when we pair it up with the verse we started with in Proverbs 21, where it says, you close your ears to the cry of the poor, God's not going to listen to you. And then Psalm 41 says, when you consider the poor, what's going to happen? God's going to be attentive to you. When you cry out in your time of need, God's going to give you what you need. I don't know what that'll be, but he'll give you what you need all the way to glory, all the way to the resurrection, where Luke 14 said, remember? He said, you'll be repaid. In the resurrection. So we want that. I want that. 
So, as one poor beggar to another who've been given the riches of Jesus Christ, let's consider the poor. Father, we thank you for giving us opportunity to look at this passage, God. Um, Father, I thank you for how you blessed us. I thank you that I got to be born in, in the United States of America in a farming community in Kansas. God, what a great blessing that was. God, I thank you that I'm not hungry. God, I thank you that I have a roof and a heater. God, I don't know why you've been so good to me. But I I pray, Father, that you would enable me to think wisely and generously and with compassion and mercy toward those in need. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please? Thank you.